1993, studio executive David Stanton pitched a Victor Hugo novel based on his love for an illustrated adaptation of the same novel. Now, I get why they made this. That was Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and this is Godfellas! to Godfellas, the small group that goes to church for the handbell choir. I'm Miss Hannah. I'm Mr. Zach. And I'm Mr. Brad. Yay! Jimmy is learning how to be a better pastor, so we needed to get a substitute teacher in, and we got the best one. We got the best one. And you know what? We did a full circle with Brad for his second episode, because the first episode, we had Mary Wicks in Sister Act, and now Mary Wicks is in this movie as well. That's right. <laughs> I love Mary That's Wicks. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we just had to... Um, in, well, her, in her final role, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah she passed during production, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, a moment for Mary Wicks and her, her career. So, I guess just to start this episode, we're, we, threw, we threw a question to the socials. There's another reason to follow God Fells the Pot on Insta. And to join the Real Lounge on Facebook. Have we plugged the Real Lounge in a while? I don't think we no, have. No, no, we haven't. Okay. Well, uh, so on our socials, we asked the question, get the phrasing correctly. What was the darkest movie you watched as a child? Ooh. And we got a few responses. So while we think of our responses, because I don't know what I'm going to say, let me read some of the ones we got on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, friend of the pod, Kayla Faneff, said The Passion of the Christ. Oh, as a child? Uh, no, Kayla, I, I I'm it. so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> as a kid, I always thought they would do an animated like version of that, but uh, no. Well, Michael Williams on Facebook, he said, Watership Down comes to mind, although I wept at Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, yeah, Raiders is pretty scary. What's the second... Indiana Jones movie. Temple of Doom? That one. That was the one was scary like, to me as a kid. George Lucas will straight up tell you now. He was like, I was going through a divorce when I was making that movie, and I was in a bad mood, and I took it out on that movie. <laughs> which, I'll say. <laughs> which is a moment. That is a full moment. Mm. Yeah. Um, we also got, from Two Sides of the Same Coin podcast, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Ooh. I don't. I haven't seen that one. It's that's a that's a that is the movie's almost camp now, as opposed to scare. Like I mean, it definitely has its moments. I think as you're younger, it's it's a little dark and twisty for sure. But like Alan Rickman is going to eleven in that movie, and it is a joy to watch. I love it. Yeah, it is a little spooky though, especially like if you're a kid. Uh, the yeah, priestess lady. You see the or the 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 witch. Yeah, she's a little scary. She yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Zach Thanoff, Brad's Brad's friend, said hey, Zach. he said, I definitely <laughs> I love this. I definitely remember watching a TV edit of Braveheart when I was probably eight or so. Not as gruesome as the regular cut, but still pretty dark. Yeah. Which oh. I will say that reminded me when I was a kid, I caught Stand By Me on TV 
and like I was like maybe six, and I was like, "Oh, kids, this is for me." Um, not not really. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't watch that one until much much later. I don't think it's it's good. But Rob Reiner, but it's still it's still uh it's 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 a uh, it's a long sit for a kid even on a TV edit. I will say that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What about you guys? Did you oh. think of any? Oh, I mine was uh the Prince of Egypt. I. I was I think I was 4 when that came out in the theater and I was like in the theater just like crying and weeping and I was like take me out I want to go I want to go and my mom was like we are watching the movie but I I was like in terror <laughs> for years because of that movie. Um yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I can see that. I don't I don't know if I was ever scared of Prince of Egypt though. I've got a couple I can share. Yeah. Was okay. Mm-hmm. So um, they're all like glimpses of remembering of being afraid. Because I don't, I don't like my parents were never like, we were not watching scary movies as kids. We were not any that kind of stuff. But the ones that I remember, um, I remember seeing, because I am, you know, 100 years older than you guys. I remember <laughs> as like being two or three, I think it was like three when Little Mermaid came out. And yeah. the end of that movie was really scary. And actually what I remember about that is that the sound cut out in the theater as we were watching the movie. So it's just this big Ursula the Sea Witch with no sound, which is somehow scarier. Yeah. It was full silent. Um, I remember being very afraid of Mad Madam Mims and Sword of the Stone as a child. Yes! Still kind of freaks me out. Don't really like her. Um, and then since this, since this is Godfellas, the other movie I remember seeing that was probably too intense for me as a kid was there was a theater when my when my parents were the pastors in in Roxboro in Philadelphia, they used to take uh, some of the men from the the ARC the Adult Rehabilitation Center on these trips and to go to the movie theater in Ambler and they would next to the Christian bookstore, and every so often they would play the Cross and the Switchblade. Which have you ever seen the Cross and the Switchblade? No. You definitely need to do that if you can find a copy. You need to do that for this podcast. I'm literally, but it's like it. this whole like what I remember is like this like, gangs and Jesus and this whole <laughs> thing, right? But I remember there being like these intense like. I mean, I'd love to see what it feels like now because it's probably just like not, you know, I, what the acting is like. But there was these scenes I remember, like like vivid fights with yeah. these knives and things, and oh, I was yeah. like three or four, going. What am I here's here's another one of my favorite answers we got. Uh, Don Carter said the Devil's Advocate, which she then I I immediately questioned. I said, "Excuse me," and she said, "I think I was sneaking down to the kitchen to get cookies while my parents were watching it on TV," and I was kind of like, "Cool." Whereas uh, me, I remember going downstairs when my dad was like watching Gladiator and I was like, oh, I'm like going to be real quiet so he doesn't catch me like watching some of this. And finally he was like, well, go to bed. Like, don't, don't watch this. Go to bed. I, you know, it's it's funny, Brad, because we also got someone who said The Little Mermaid on Insta. Uh, Noah Hewitt said The Little Mermaid and I'm sure for the same scary ursula at the end reasons she's very scary in that movie but honestly like now as the age that i am and the person that i am ursula is my jam so like there's been <laughs> yeah. redemption in that. work like yeah. yeah no i get that um i so for me personally i um i was really scared by very obscure things like uh there was one episode of spongebob that really scared me and i couldn't watch um, the Disney Channel original movie Get a Clue, which I liked watching, but when they played like the serious music and they found the teacher tied up in the bathrobe with like the face makeup on, that scared me so bad. So it was like irrational things. But I think the one movie that I am almost even too scared to watch today, not because I watched it fully as a kid, but all the clips that I saw when my family would watch it was The Goonies. Oh, yeah. 
I can't with the Goonies. That seems so but... scary to me. Yeah, I don't think I was. I don't think I saw the Goonies until much later. So like, I don't know that that was the thing for me. Um, but I also need to say we're all missing the answer that is for everyone of a certain age. But it was a television show, and the answer is Unsolved Mysteries because that show, even the theme song for that, still scares me. Like, I'm gonna say. Uh... Brandon Sharp had the correct answer, though, with The Secrets of Nim, because Don Bluth, that Don Bluth animation, let me tell you, it's a uh, it gets pretty spooky. And that was definitely the answer that I was I was waiting for someone to drop. Hannah, I know you have one more on Insta, but did no one bring up Hunchback? That's the one I was waiting for. Nice. Someone did two sides of the same coin podcast also said, I was expecting a bunch of those, but I, I didn't see hunchback until I was a little bit older. Oh Wait, we did have one more. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Um, and Megan Moretz said hook, which I would agree with. Oh yeah. 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 I w- but again, I was expecting more hunchback from people. Cause I remember I, my mom was kind of like, I don't know, I don't know. And then in third grade, she let me rent it at the Blockbuster video. And uh, I watched it, and I was like, this is this is scary. <laughs> and I scared easily as a kid, but I was like, this is really... The scene with um, Glenn Close in Hook was what scared me. Yeah. In the box. <laughs> yeah. For me in Hook, it's the actual, like, the children were screaming. You know when that sh- when they get taken. Yeah, my brother and I actually still quote that the children were screaming. Ying, ying, ying. I love yeah. it. Well, I think the place to start this conversation is the Hunchback of Notre Dame, nineteen ninety six Disney film. It came out in the Disney Renaissance, so I think we should start with how do we feel about where this film kind of fell in between? I mean, you had the Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Um, I think the year before was probably Pocahontas, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this coming right after Pocahontas kind of did this movie in because Pocahontas didn't really do super well on a critical lens. And that was when Pocahontas, they've said they were trying to like go for another Oscar like they did with Beauty and the Beast. So they tried to make Pocahontas from that lens of like making a real movie. So. I feel like because Hunchback came after Pocahontas, it still kind of had that f- that vibe or that taste was still in people's mouths of like, what is Disney doing? Whereas I feel like if Hunchback had come out after Lion King, I think it might have gone over a little bit better, but I'm not sure, sure how much more because it is, it's such a mixed bag as a movie in a way that like the other films you mentioned aren't. Yeah, to some extent. I also think that like, I think people were ready with their knives out for Disney to trip up, right? Because yeah. they had they got the best picture nomination with Beauty and the Beast. Then they did Aladdin and Aladdin actually got like a song of the year nomination at the Grammys. So not even just like in a, in like the soundtrack category. Like it was in the big categories. A whole new, I think it was a whole new world, right? Yeah. And then and then you had Lion King, which did so, so well. Yeah. That and and the other thing too is you have to remember in those like between from Little Mermaid to then Alan Menken won like six Oscars, right? They yeah. split the score category for comedy and drama at the Oscars because of the Disney, you know, winning it every time and just winning and winning and winning. So I think that people were ready for like any vulnerability they could find in Disney. Mm. They were coming for them, right? See, like, see, you know, because they, you know, actors don't want to lose their jobs to 
paintings, as Billy Crystal said in you know, his <laughs> song about the you know, beauty of the beast without it for best picture, right? So I think I think that they were just people who were and I and I think that also they were always just seen as movies for kids, right? And I think that I think Hunchback was kind of like, I mean, I could probably get into it, but like I think this was done in by their want to be taken seriously, but also mm. like trying to stay in their lane. And it just was this discourse between what they wanted to do idealistically and what they felt they had to do to make money. Well, yeah. And that's, I think this is where, you know, I did not remember this movie as a kid. Like I remembered parts of it. I remembered some of the music. I definitely remember like images, like, like I, I could remember scenes visually, but like I couldn't remember the story. And I think that was because like, I, how could I grasp it as a kid? Like the full extent of the themes in the story so when's the last time you'd seen this movie before watching it for this oh we watched it la no uh yeah. last we summer or no we weren't married yet we watched it yeah the summer before after we recorded the a week away episode with kayla and mitch yeah because kayla had okay. never seen so it. so 2021 yeah okay but before then, before then, before, tell before then, last time I watched it was at Mitch Dupree's house because we were talking about movies that scared us as kids. And we were just like hunchback. And we're like, remember that one? And kind of like put it on expecting to be like, oh, wasn't it silly that we were scared of that? And we were like, I'm more afraid of this now. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? See, this is, I, I saw this in theaters. So I would have been about 10, I think, when this mm -hmm. came out. And there was this kind of like tradition we had where, because my parents were camp directors for the Salvation Army for most of the 90s, right? And so we would always go see the new Disney movie on the break day. And, you know, more times than not, my dad would, you know, take a six, seven dollar nap, right? So we would go to the movies and he'd be in the dark room because he'd been working, you know, he's running the camp for the whole yeah. week. Okay. So we saw we saw this in this then. And I and I and it's one of one that I had visited frequently because we had the VHS of it, right? And it's actually honestly like the thing for me, this movie is I've always regarded it as one that I like that I think a lot of people are more iffy on than me. But in watching it this time, I think that I, I the highs in this movie are so high. Yeah. And the lows in this movie are so low. Right. But I think yeah. for me is like when I think about this movie, I think about the good parts of this movie. And yeah. then even watching it again, just the other day, I think I'd watch it like, you know, maybe within the last year I'd watched it, but like watching it again. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get to talk about, it, there's some things in here where I was just like, man, if we would have just cut this, and like trust it, like it's it really it, it just watching it. I, I say it again. It felt like two different parts were fighting with each other, and it was this mm -hmm. whole like we have to appeal to kids so we can make our money because it's a family thing. Right. But we want to do something artistic and and angsty and really be this like literature, you know, read true to the text, mm -hmm. and you know. Well, well and here's yeah. kind of where my tinfoil hat comes out because I've heard I've heard rumors and discussion that after the success of. Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, which that was all kind of taking off in 1993, that they were kind of like, let's go for that again. Like what? And so the thing was Hunchback, Victor Hugo novel, kind of like Les Mis. And there's already, if you don't know, the opera La Esmeralda, which was written by Victor Hugo. So like it had been done in the past and you know, La Esmeralda, I don't think went over particularly well because we don't really talk about it. But I think... And I've heard that the goal was to get something that they would be able to move to Broadway pretty easily. And like watching the opening scene where um the Archdeacon and Frollo are going back and forth, I was like, oh, this feels very lame is. I loved it, but. Yeah, so I remember um, 
so when I was, this has been about 2001, I was about 14, 15. I was really starting to get into theater in a big way. And we just moved to Montclair. Mm. And I remember when even as we were going through the city, that everyone was saying that Aida was only put there as a placeholder until Hunchback was ready. So like right. that had been, that yeah. was the plan, I think was, I think once they realized that Hunchback had not, wasn't one of their big memorable whatevers, they scrapped that plan until it got revived much later as, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also let's let's start let's start there. Let's start with uh the music and the opening, specifically with the opening. I said this to Zach last night. I think the opening song of of this movie gives me the same like impact that the opening song in The Prince of Egypt gives me. Yeah. Like I would say they're pretty much on the same level there. I have the same like emotional reaction yeah. to it. Get out of here circle of life. It's honestly it's, <laughs> for me it's the, it's the best it's the best Disney opening I think yeah. of the 90s. Like it is so strong, yeah. right? Yeah. The storytelling, the music, it's epic in nature. Oh, gosh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I love that essentially from the opening note of singing that it's like, this is what the next 90 minutes is going to be. If you don't like it, now is the time to get out. But you know, kids love Latin choir music. <laughs> they can't get enough. Like, you know, like, and but the thing is, like, I mean, even I was seeing that Alan Menken has said that this is his best opener that he's ever written. And I agree. I would agree yeah. with that, too. I, I think so, too. I mean, yeah. listen, I, I am a sucker for Hercules, and I yep. love me Same. some gospel truth. Same. But I do think, like, from a storytelling standpoint, mm -hmm. just the just the, the, the music is gorgeous. I think Schwartz did a good job with the lyrics. I think this is yeah. just a really strong, really strong opening. Yeah. Which was a your characters well too. Which apparently was a thing that like Schwartz really fought for was to have that big opening number because they were kind of like, what are we, what are we doing? Like this is crazy. And he was really like, no. And then once they storyboarded it, it made sense to everybody. Yeah, it was originally like all. Oh gosh, what's the what's the actual characters? I never remember this. Clopin. Character. Yes. Yeah. Clopin. Yeah. His he was he was just like he was just quoting like he was just yeah. actually storytelling. And I think making it a song was a, a brilliant, I mean, as we see, a brilliant decision. Yeah. It's so interesting, too, because, like, like being, you know, having seen so many of these Disney movies, right? And then, like, now being older, there's so much they borrow from each other. And, like, there's, there is a, like, they took Arabian Nights and elevated it. Because even there, you have a narrator, right? But the narrator never comes back in Aladdin. Like, he's just there and you're like, oh, you're great. Okay, tell us Arabian Nights, right? I guess it's, you know, it's the, also Robin Williams, so maybe it's the gene. I don't know. There's a whole conspiracy theory there. But, like, this idea of the narrator's character being integrated into the story, too, I think is kind of fun, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I like, oh, oh I'll, the, who? Oh, the what? puppet? Yeah. How? If that was all the comedic relief in the movie, that would have been fine. fine. <laughs> I literally was saying yeah. that to myself on the way to work today. It's like, yeah. who? Yeah. I, I will... <laughs> Uh, you know, I will say, like for this Disney movie, I wrote down in my in my notes uh, just a couple of things. Uh, I love the I love Frollo's emo horse uh, with like the hair hanging in front of its eyes. I was just a, a little thing, but then oh. I was saying the murder of Quasimodo's mom in that opening sequence is horrific. But what's even more horrific is how Frollo. It's not even he doesn't even just brush it off. He doesn't even care. He just moves on. 
And it's like a villainy that I don't think we had seen prior or since with Disney animated films. Yeah. And there's no, there's no like it's cool to be a bad guy. Yeah. Like, no. like the other ones have like this, either whether it's whether it's the camp factor, or it's the like they've got the good song yeah. or whatever, right? Like there's like none of that. Frollo is about like. They were like, how evil can we make this person oh gosh. Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. and still have him be a person? Right. But we're going to make sure you know this is the bad guy from the jump. Yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Once he shows up, you're like, oh, there he is. Well, and to throw in, they also throw DS Irae in there, too. Like, so it's like, it's like, in case you didn't know that this was this was going to be a minor moment, we're going to throw in Mozart's Requiem on top of it. Yeah. Just really <laughs> hit this home, right? Yeah. 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 Well, he, he's going to go drown a baby, everybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then also, and then you get legendary, you know, David Ogdiers in like half these events showing up as this, you know, as the priest there. Or yeah. The, the, whatever the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Arch, like, Archdeacon. Oh, Archdeacon. Archdeacon. Yeah. 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 I. I mean, you know, obviously for this pod, um, and ever since I took my sociology of religion class um, in college, I've been very into. I. I. I love. I love the idea of it, just the simple lyric that you hear all throughout the film, like what makes a monster and what makes a man and comparing that to the religious tones of this, which I uh, quite obviously connect, I think. I mean, you know, and yeah. I like that we get that it, it's, you know, the dilemma here is clear from that we're just we're giving it to you. But also there's so many things that like if you just think about it, you can discover like I think they set it up really well. I love again, simple lyric. I think it's really impactful. But like I was saying, watching this movie being like this movie hits totally differently after that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just with the corruption and the people and how we look at people and the brainwashing of people and the you, you know, I thought you were a good you were good in my life. And I realized that you're not. And it, there was just yeah. there's oh, so much yeah. of what's happening politically, religious, like in the church in, oh, yeah. in in America in 2022. That I was watching this movie, going, this movie hits so different. Which again, now I, I was telling Hannah, I was like, I think if this movie came out today, I'm not gonna say it would have found its crowd, but I think the crowd that found it would have been very vocal. Riots in the streets. I yeah. think this movie, this movie would have been so polarizing. Yeah, and I'm like, how dare Disney do this and use this to advocate? But like, I will say this is that my question I kept asking, and I a tally mark next to it every time I have this question in my head, and it's about 16 tallies. Who is the target audience for this movie? I was wondering the same thing. Right. Yeah. And that's where like, I, and I want to bring it up at the top here because I think that we can talk about it a lot as we go through as we talk about different points, but like. Even that opening, that music mm -hmm. sets you up for a place that like I don't see the I don't see a lot of kids going there, right? Like, cause I mean, yeah. like you can I think get them as far as like some of these Broadway tunes or some of that kind of stuff. And like even like, you know that when Stephen Schwartz talked about Hercules, they were so classical stuff. And they're like, what if we do gospel? And he was like, what? And then he's like, oh, I get it, right? Yeah. But this movie, it felt like they were really trying to be like purist in a creative sense of like what's true to this and and, and true to this story and 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 really give it that try i think with you know with the idea of maybe broadway in its future but like who is the target audience for this movie and i think that that is the question that it was never kind of settled on because yeah i think that they they're trying to you know no servant can serve two masters right and i feel like that's what we're trying to be like creatively you know uh you know true to the story but also feed these needs of like we've got to entertain these children so we get these weird gargoyles that i'm sure yeah. we'll talk about in a little bit mm -hmm. but well, yeah but even there just the music i 
Well, I, I just from the beginning, what is who is this movie for? And with lines of dialogue like this is an unholy demon, I'm sending it back to hell. And like almost like the way he delivers that line, it almost seems like it's like played for like a quick laugh from the audience, like how matter of fact it is. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah, you kind of go, what am I watching right now? But again, at the end of that, I wrote the first 10 minutes of this movie is my favorite Disney film. Like, yeah, yeah. up through out there, like uh, it was save, save a couple gargoyles. I think that that but. Also, I also want to say this too. Like, I think that like when it came to just this, the aesthetic of the movie, I think this might be my favorite time in Disney animation mm-hmm. where you still had like the flat watercolor or whatever you call them backdrops, right? And they had the cell moving over, but they were starting to experiment with some computer stuff, like like the shot of like the cinematography in this movie, for lack of a better way of saying it, is really good. Well, yeah. it's the same people who did Beauty and the Beast, and yeah. like that has a similar like vibe to it, and you see it, yeah. Uh, like the shot of Quasimodo, um, like going in and um, among the columns, oh, yeah. is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I mean, the shot of him sliding down, the, and we'll get to this—the sliding down the the water during. Mm. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and I, every shot of the stained glass window. I mean, yes. it's gorgeous. just well, and I and I will yeah. say, kind of, because I know that there's rumors about them doing a live action version of this, but to go back to it, I'm like. Well, who is your audience again? Because I was like, I don't, and also, how is this not going to get like a a hard PG or an R rating? Like, yeah, I just, I just don't see it. And I was like, even thinking in my mind about like, what would I want to see in a live action version? And it's like nobody else would want to see like a Matt Reeves directed like Hunchback of Notre Dame where Andy Serkis is your Frollo and all like I was thinking about like my whole cast and I was like yeah. there's no way this happens there's no way that they make this movie yeah yeah um, I mean the rumor floating around that I read I read online that apparently Josh Gad was trying to yeah, play yeah. Quasimodo which is a weird that's a I mean no. he makes almost more sense if they're going to keep the gargoyles than it does as a Quasimodo right yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, but like, if yeah. you think about it, like, yeah. that's kind of more, you know. Yeah. yeah. When we when have we really seen him be a dramatic? And not saying he can't do it. We yeah, right. Seen yeah. It, you know, in which right. I was exactly. here, he's exactly. dramatic, but no one saw that movie. But like, when he comes on screen, we're almost now trained to go, oh, Olaf. this is yeah. this is a funny thing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's. Yeah. T- I mean, let's talk about the gargoyles because they're one. Yeah, much like everybody else, I don't care for them, but I think I would have been able to deal with it more if they were obviously in his mind. Because I know that the director said, like, I want it to seem like that, but it's pretty obvious that they are coming to life. Because again, like, I like, I I don't like it, but it's less of a problem for me if they're clearly, like, he's, like, living in his own little world right now. So. I want to, if I can, I want to take a step back in the still talking about gargoyles and talk about the Disney sidekick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this movie somehow became, let's do all the sidekicks, right? Because like, (laughs) every sidekick. And there's different types. Like throughout the different movies, you got like your flounders and your Sebastians who talk, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have your Abus who make noise, but don't (laughs) talk. And then you have like, you know, then you have your Timon and Pumbas who are hilarious. Mm -hmm. Then you have in in Pocahontas, you've got like Miko and and Percy who don't all talk. But they all kind of, you know, and this movie has three gargoyles, (laughs) a goat and a and a horse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The horse. Like all the main characters have their own sidekicks. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think and and part of me goes, I think it's just too many. I I almost feel like if you if the this is going to sound maybe sacrilege to some people, but I think if you just cut Jason Alexander's gargoyle, I think the other two are fine. I agree. I totally agree with that. Like it's yeah. it's like having mom and dad or grandma and grandpa who take care of you, and I think that that I think my problem is Jason Alexander's character feels like he's there, 
just to entertain the children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's but like from a story standpoint, I don't know what he adds. Cause like I can even deal with like Esmeralda has her goat and Phoebus has his horse. Yeah. I like I and everyone's got their own, like fine. But I feel like there's just there's too many yeah. sidekicks here. Too many cooks you know? well, in the kitchen. Well, they even yeah. were pushing. Yeah. I remember as a kid when I would watch my Toy Story VHS, before that, they were pushing featuring Jason Alexander as one of the gargoyles so that your parents would go, I love Seinfeld. I'm in. Yeah. And then, well, the par- yeah. and then yeah. back to it, then the parents take their kids to see Hunchback and they sit through the first 10 minutes of the movie, which features a mom getting murdered, a baby nearly drowned, the the guilt of like, God has seen what you have done and you will never escape this for the rest of your life. And now, like I wrote in my notes when Jason Alexander was talking, remember 10, like five minutes ago when we saw Frollo murder a woman in cold blood on the steps of Notre Dame? <laughs> I, yeah, a fart joke is made within five the, minutes yeah, after the, the opening number. And, and, right? also, yeah. and I yeah. want to say the moment leading. I think. I think I'll just get this out of the way. The voice cast in this movie is a little hit and miss for me, but Tom Hulse I think is absolutely perfect. I think he. Yeah, nails I have that it. written down. I, yeah. Well, first of all, as as you guys know, yeah. my all time favorite movie is Amadeus. Yes. So yes. mainly in part because of Tom Hulse's performance, yeah. I think he's so good, and like. I mean, and he's gone on to do a bunch of like producing and, you know, mm-hmm. he produced Spring Awakening on Broadway. He was one of the lead producers oh, on that. And he's done, that. Yeah. So like he still like does like stuff in the business, but like this, this vo- voice performance, mm-hmm. it, it's, Incredible. it's yeah. so tender and it's yeah. just so, the, it, what it reminds me of a little bit is like the only other person I could think of that like in my brain who could do it is like today's Brendan Fraser. Yeah. yeah. Because like that same kind of like sweet quality to his voice that is just yeah. so... Mm-hmm gentle and but believable and doesn't seem fake yeah and even like the like i love that it's him singing with imperfections and all like it's not like he's not going to be your recording artist and that's okay but it fits the character so well yeah absolutely, um, absolutely. i think i think out there is one of one of disney's best mm-hmm. like yes. i want, want songs yeah yes. and since we're talking about songs, I'll also just say the fact I understand there was the Disney fatigue at the Oscars, but the fact that this movie did not show up in the best song category for is heresy. Out there, for God bless the outcast. Hellfire. For Bells of Notre Dame. And Hellfire. <laughs> but like <laughs> those three, like I Who's, just I, I don't get it. Who's big in the 90s? You're telling me you didn't want to see Lauren Hill do Hellfire at the Oscars? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> No, I've been like that was the sloppiest Michael. thing I ever I threw know. together. <laughs> How now, dare you disrespect well, no, I, Lauren Hill's yeah. talent like that? <laughs> well, I'll say again with the Tom Hall singing. What's the line when he says, um, "Just give me one day, and then I swear I'll be content." I don't know if I've ever believed a sung line of dialogue more than I believe that. Like, like every time he sings that line, I a hundred percent believe that if he just had his one day. He would be like, I believe it. And that's a thing too, is that like, I don't always believe these Disney songs because there's a lot of like, you know, this is fun, but you also have to listen to it in your car. This one, he hooks me in and sells me. But also like, think about it this way too. And this speaks to the character so well. And I I think this is like a real good credit to, to, to Schwartz and Mencken is that like, Ariel's dream is like I want to be out there and do these things and Simba's like I'm going to be a king and it's going to be amazing mm-hmm. and all Quasimodo wants is one day one yeah. day and it just talks about like the state of mind he's in and how Frollo like even like Frollo's by the way Frollo's demented alphabet I, that he goes that through was saying, way, like, oh yeah, my gosh I was, was like huh where's social services but, but, like, but that yeah truly truly but that got more laughs from me than the gargoyles with the eternal but, yeah, damnation right, oh yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the thing like, is, like, it works. And, but I also go like, so if we're, we're kind of jumping a little crazy, but like yeah. we go back to the gargoyles of it all. Right. Yeah. I think that the joke of like Mary Wicks and the birds, we love it. Like, it she keeps getting attacked by these birds. Yeah. Then you've got what's his face from Murphy Brown, uh, Kimbrough, yep. Charles Kimbrough from Murphy Brown. <laughs> and he's just like the stodgy little, it's very like Francis from um from Oliver and Company, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And but the two, but even just he had the two of them, I think that they could have played it like a very kind of like wacky not quite like Archie and Edith Bunker, but like something of like the, like the kind of just those two parents. And I don't, I, I just don't know what Jason Alexander's character brings to the movie yeah. other than just, Oh, the kids are going to laugh. And yeah. I think that that it almost feels like a note that was given later to like, say like, you got to have something here for the kids. Like I understand you have this whole artistic thing you guys want to do, but what about the kids? What can we market? What can we sell as a toy? And it felt like that's what they were trying to do with him and trying to make him like the genie or Timon and Pumbaa. And it just, it, it, it flies like a lead balloon Yeah, for me. I, I definitely think the other two gargoyles are on the same wavelength and yeah, Jason Alexander is just too, in his voice acting, I feel like too big, too out there. But um, and I and contemporary. I, I do mean that though. Yeah. yeah. Where I yeah I actually think that uh, Victor and what's Laverne. I think that they uh, yeah I they're relate like their performances complement each other's. Mm-hmm. I think. yeah I agree. Well, so do you think it's a casting issue or is it a script issue? Because I don't know if you Both. guys saw this. So this was not the first draft of the cast, right? No, it wasn't. Because originally it wasn't Mary Wicks. It was Cindy Lauper, and it was somebody else. In there. And then. Apparently they asked for Nathan Lane, but he was too busy doing other things. And I don't, I, I wonder if like Nathan Lane, I, I wonder how that fits. Cause he's not like, he's, I mean, he's, there's much more of a, uh, I, I would say like, not to say it this way, but there's much more of a homosexual sensibility sure. with Nathan Lane than there is with J- with Jason Alexander's yeah. delivery. And I, and I wonder, cause I don't see Nathan Lane doing the pour the wine and cut the cheese joke. Mm. No, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, you make a good point is that like his like his lines, Jason Alexander's lines are much different than the rest of them. Like, and oh, I don't know how much is that if like like what's improvised, what's not, I don't know. But you know, like mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, while we're talking about the voice cast, I want to talk about I mean Tony J, who is one who's like Hire an actual voice actor, watch what happens, because I think, you know, now it's all about getting the biggest stars, and I'm like, listen, voice acting is a real talent, and, yep. like, when you see it for real, like in this movie... Will Friedel. Like, sorry. I mean, Will Friedel's <laughs> yeah, a great voice actor. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of those things where, like, you see it, but, and I mean, listen, I love Mr. Fish Odor from Bob's Burgers, but Kevin Klein does not work for me here. See, I, I disagree. Really? I really like Kevin Klein. Okay. Uh, I was going to say the same thing for, for me, Demi Moore too while we're I, at it, but yeah. I, I, Demi Moore I could take, yeah. leave or take, but like my my thing for this is like with Kevin Klein, I'm like, you're going to cast Kevin Klein and not let him sing? <laughs> like that's my thing too. True. Like Kevin Klein, like, but like the, if you think about where Kevin Klein was at this time, yeah. like he was, they were, they were trying to go for like an Errol Flynn kind of, you know, kind of leading man in that kind of, you know, bravura he's kind of right in the pocket, right? He had just won a few years earlier for a fish called Wanda, right? And he kind of had like <laughs> yeah. that, which by the way, great Oscar win. Yeah. Um, but like Kevin Klein for me is one of the things that does work. And I and I feel like they just didn't give him enough to do. Yeah, like, and, and, that, just, like, and that might be the issue. Character. Like, you know, I mean, he's kind of there. I mean, it, <laughs> he's there because, you know, Esmeralda can't end up with Quasimodo, which is, <sighs> you know, fine. Yeah. But like he's, and also like just, 
I don't know the stuff. The stuff where it's like you you expect this guy to be the evil policeman and the side maybe a sidekick for Frollo or whatever, but like he ends up like being like you're John Smith in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think you might have hit on it, Brad. It's not so much the because his quips didn't really work for me, but it's also like that comes down to the script and what they have him doing. I gotta tell you, that was a long journey for an Achilles heel joke, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a long journey. Yeah. To oh, get to a short oh yeah, by drill. the way, you were talking about uh Fro him being Frollo's right hand man. Uh hey, remember there's a scene where Frollo's just whipping a dude in the other room? <laughs> and he's like giving the guy notes on how to like torture better. Know, but goodness. then also being like, Oh yeah, the last the last chief of police or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. And then you hear it again <laughs> and you're it's just, yeah, and you're just applied like, oh <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. That's a job interview that I'm out of. Like yeah. real quick, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you know, Zach, you had an interesting comment about um, when we were watching about Frollo's, like, performance in Out There, and then I had one about Quasimodo's performance in Out There, so I want to hear what you have to say. Well, yeah, I was going to say, the voice acting from Tony J, everything he says sounds like a lie. Everything Frollo said, like, when he says, you don't know what it's like out there, I do. I was like, I don't believe you. I believe mm. you You have, like, your own skewed version. And it's like, I don't believe a word that he is saying, but it's like he's been talking to, you know, Quasimodo, who he's been lying to his whole life. And so it's like that extra layer. I was like, it's so, like, he just drips with evil in this. Yeah, I, yeah, I think such a great delivery. So cunning. And I love, specifically in the opening of Out There, like, his performance versus the so, like, heartbreakingly beautiful singing i sing this line all the time and zach always hates it because he thinks i'm talking about myself but i'm just singing it because i think it's beautiful but when he goes and i am ugly like it's just so beautiful how would you like for me to respond when you're walking you are, around the house singing deformed. that i am deformed and you are ugly and i am ugly you it's just so like that counter the back and forth is just yeah. so beautiful like mm. melodically yeah and i think it's such yeah. a yeah, I, I think going back to Tom Hulse's tenderness mm -hmm. really works, um, especially there, but throughout the whole film, I think. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know. I was just, yeah, I think that I I definitely think that if we're talking about out there, I, I'm sort of here under that is like the song slaps. Yeah. yeah. So hard. It's such a good song. Actually, it's one of my. I. It's the song I actually. I sung that song to get for my grad school audition. So it's like oh, one of those like yeah. Yay. Um. And the and I said here the cinematography in that number is so good. Even down to like the, after he splashes in the water, there's like those water droplets on the like on the camera. Yeah. They edited that would have happened in like you know if it was a live action. Just some of that attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And I think that like this movie from beginning throughout there is like. For me, like the first ten minutes of Up, where you're just yeah, like, can that yeah. just be the short film because it's so other. I mean, again, I would get rid of Jason Alexander's character, but like <laughs> it's so good, it's so good. Mm -hmm. And then and then it's like it's like it's almost like they got sidetracked on working on the next movie, and then yeah. they just didn't continue that level of intense detail and specificity through the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Well, let's let's I want to talk about when we meet Esmeralda and um yeah. all of Topsy Turvy and um the Festival of Fools and um Yeah, I have some issues. What do we think? Um uh 
Uh, here's something. Here is something that I like. With the exception of Phoebus, I like that in the movie, all of the people who are oppressed are artists. I think that that's cool. Like Quasi has his wood carving that he does. Like I think that that's a super fun thing. That's also not hit on the head um, too hard. Uh, they have that one nice back and forth where she's like, "If I could do this, I wouldn't be dancing in the street." And he's like, "But you're so good at that." I think that that's cool. Um, I don't. But it's it, also like how society looks at artists too, yeah. right? Is that like there is this this thing of the the learned educational or I mean, and you know, yeah, I think it's I think we we in a little bit need to talk about changing Frollo from a religious figure to a judicial figure because yeah. I think that that is a whole thing. But there is this thing of like. You know, these artists are seen as, you know, like the second class citizens because they're not real, you know, doing something real with their life or whatever. And I think that I think that that's shown through just with the you know, it's the conformity, nonconformity. Right. Like as well, just like the do you fit into society or do you not? Mm-hmm. And if you don't bring anything of substance, you know, like, are you the baker or the farmer or the yeah. whatever, then do you add to society? You yeah. Know? And, and I will say with the introduction to Esmeralda, this is kind of I'm I'm half joking here. But I wish that they would have shown her doing something a little more than just kind of like seductively shaking her tambourine. Like, I don't know. I wish that it was a little more. We got to see like, you know, like some some dancing or like if she got like a fun number there or something might have been too close after Topsy Turvy or not Topsy Turvy. Might have been too close after out there. But it is kind of like when they show up, I would because she has that line about I worked for this money. Like I, I and they're like, they don't earn money. They steal it. But if we had seen like. Yeah, she did. She could she have had a, like that. a part in Topsy Turvy, like well, like she a stanza does. Or... She does, but that's like just after singing the fact. it. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do think that like I think we're going back to and again. I I just watched this last night, but all these details in the middle are so fuzzy, which is probably not <laughs> a great endorsement of this movie. But like, I felt like that whole there's like a whole beat that was like from Aladdin, right? Yeah. With the whole like Jasmine and the thing and the stealing and the like. It just it felt like very much that scene in the, you know when they were trying to, you know, arrest Aladdin or whatever, you know, I did, it felt like a similar beat with the, with Frollo's guards and Esmeralda and, and Abu and the monk, you know, monkey, but versus goat kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it felt like another borrowed moment as opposed to, so it's like Disney shorthand for this discovery rather than really fleshing out what that story could be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. Yeah. You know, we see Esmeralda, we see Esmeralda standing up for Quasimodo and you know, Frollo's into some weird stuff is that's what turns him on is the way that she is well, <laughs> fighting. He likes to be challenged, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's very yeah. much that like, yeah. How dare you I defy think, me is actually like, hmm? well, it's, it's kind of, it, it kind of, it kind of feeds into this whole thing is that nobody challenges him, that's right? True. Like it's very much, I am the law. It is what it is. And the only people that have really challenged him is the is the is the priest at the beginning who said, no, you're going to do this. And he gives in. Right. Mm-hmm. And then and then the same thing with Esmeralda. And I think that you see that a lot with powerful people who just assume power is that like there's this weird thing in them where like, how dare you talk to me mm-hmm. like that? But I'm intrigued by what you're saying. And so I think that even feeds into the duplicitousness of Frollo in that like. You know, he's like the the one thing that he hates the most is the thing that he desires the most. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think, and I think that that's the way to kind of talk about that is like, you know, how, like, yeah. And, but even in the same thing there, it's like he, he, he can't decide whether he wants to like be with her or he wants to end her life. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, but I think my question is, do you think that he's being authentic when he says that she was sent to tempt me by the devil? 
or is that just his way of rationalizing yeah. Yeah. his Absolutely. own bad behavior? Do you that's know what how I mean? he rationalizes, like, 100%. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's him not... I think that's his pride stopping him from accepting responsibility. Yeah, yeah I think the topsy-turvy scene where, like, Quasimodo's out in the world and he's, like, kind of, like, getting tossed around. It's like, I get it. It's, it's like, a cutesy-ish moment. It, it is... The, it is... My problem with Topsy Turvy is the song is good, but the actual visuals are disappointing. I agree. Because like Topsy Turvy could have been your just can't wait to be king. Yeah. Or your friend like me where everything goes like, ooh, because like, because I think they tried to do that later with a guy like you, which I'm well, we are going to talk about. But like Topsy Turvy is a really, and like that's a number for me where it's like it gets expanded on stage to like a seven and a half yeah. crazy dance number with tricks and antics and, and all that kind of stuff. Like that to me is one of the numbers that, felt like a stage was written for a stage show mm -hmm. that they were kind of like yeah it's good enough for now right and but we'll fix it when we get to it later right mm -hmm. um spoiler alert they yeah. didn't if you've heard the soundtrack of the uh off-broadway cast <laughs> yeah i can I tell you i haven't seen i haven't seen the stage show and partly because like i think in my brain i have like alan menken didn't work on it right it was just steven schwartz no, Alan Menken did work on it a little bit. I okay. listened to it, though, and it's not for me. It, yeah, it's fair. it doesn't yeah. hit it's with fair. me either. I, now, I will say, th this whole sequence, though, for me, is the messiest part of the movie, being that, and this is kind of what I wanted to throw around, the torture of Quasi literally comes out of nowhere. And it's something where I'm like, I feel like if that had happened the moment he was revealed to be the the bell ringer or if it was like Frollo provoked it or something, it would have made more sense. But then I'm thinking, yeah. are they trying to make a statement about like when a powerful person stands up and like makes a declaration how easily the mob is, is swayed, but it's still messy if that's what they were trying to do. But I also think it comes out of like how often does, I mean, like I live in Philadelphia, so I can speak to some of this. How often does excitement and like woohoo and oh, yeah. partying turn into mess real quick? Absolutely. Like, you know, I live in the city where they have to put Crisco on the light pole so people don't climb them. Right? Yeah. If like, something good happens, right? Mm -hmm. So like I, like, I think that's more what it is. I think it's just this, that the revelry gets out of hand and you can't trust the people to... To, to use good judgment to sure. to keep it in that same way. I, I think that I think even for me what would have been and I can't remember and this might be a detail that you guys may know and I don't is the first tomato thrown by one of the soldiers yes it is by Patrick that, Star. See, that makes by sense. Patrick Star yeah yeah so I think that for <laughs> so I think for me like that's what starts is that they're that's their way of being able to turn the mob so quickly is it's yeah. like oh this isn't fun we don't want to you know they can tell their boss is ticked so let's go ahead and ridicule this guy mm-hmm but tying back into what's happening in the world today mm -hmm. in these whenever you're in these mobs of situations of like it's all about well who starts it but who finishes it and does if this person starts it and that person finishes it does it justify the beans do you know what i mean like yeah and i yeah Amazing. so i yeah I, I i think that i think the fact that it is the policeman who started it just shows how easy a mob can switch from fun and praising to violent and messy. Sure, sure, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think the, and here again, though, we get back into our, who is the audience? Because if I'm six. <laughs> this is not, yeah. can we all just agree this yeah. movie is not for six-year-olds? Yeah, like, this, not this movie, like, like I mean, like even Wishbone in his version of this would be like not, not this intense, right? Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, how much literature do kids my age learn from Wishbone? <laughs> Right. So, like, I think that they were really trying this experiment of because, again, the before Beauty and the Beast, I would say 
they were cartoons, right? It was, yeah, yeah. you know, paintings. It was for kids. And Beauty and the Beast, I, I, I really changed the game and showed that this is, and what Guillermo, what Guillermo del Toro just said, one of the things is like, this is not just a genre. This is a medium, yeah. right? And there are genres within that, right? And so I think that what they were trying to do here, then I, I would like to say in the first draft, it almost feels like they were like, what if we were just like any other movie, right? Yeah. And we were just creating this piece of art, mm. right? And then someone went, okay, but like, we have to make money. So we have to sell toys. So you got to get kids to watch it and yeah. you got to do commercials and sell Happy Meal toys or whatever. And and then, and then that's how this evolved. But like, yeah, I don't think, and again, yeah, I don't think this movie was for children. And I don't think that was their intention until wow. they had to go back and add things for children yeah yep oh and here's something i also want to say while we're talking about that scene i i love i love writing writing is very important um and i'm typically not one of those every single word has to be absolute perfection but if i could change one thing about the script the scene where esmeralda refers to quasimodo as a creature i was like that feels wrong to me yeah. That just straight up feels out of character for her. And it's also like a betrayal on everything she's kind of doing in that yeah. scene. Yeah. The, the I also say too, like, sorry, just yeah. sorry. <laughs> talking about that scene, I do think that like even the style of animation changes in such a grotesque way from yeah. like the, the color the color palette changes. Like it really just like it takes you to a place. And so like, they are asking the audience to go on this mm -hmm. like kind of frightening journey in that moment. Right. And they do yeah. make Quasimodo look more grotesque than he has. Right. And mm -hmm. to really kind of mirror, I guess, where they're going in that moment. And then mm -hmm. for him to look at Frollo and Frollo just dismiss him. I mean, like th there's a lot going on in that scene. Oh, yeah. Like, it's but a again, tough I feel watch. like it's yeah. it is, but I also think it's like a Cliff's Notes version. I think that there's like there's so much there to mine, and not that it needs to be twenty minutes long, but I do right. think that like well, some of the nuance, well, and there got lost. And again, not to like cite the book because you know it's just they're they're too different. The movie is trying to combine the scene where Quasimodo gets uh, whipped for doing Frollo's dirty work with the Feast of Fools scene, which those are just two scenes that don't go together. Yeah. 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 It's part. I mean, it's just. I, I think that. I think that this. Also, like, were, were there five credited writers on this script? Uh huh. It feels yeah. like it. Yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? It's like it really. As does. opposed to the last movie we talked about with Sister Act, where there were like five bajillion writers on it, and it felt like they were just like punching up each other's work. Yeah. This one felt like everybody came with their own draft. They took scene one from this person, scene two from this person, and then like hot, like you know, like made a patchwork quilt of a script. Yeah. Because it doesn't really. Or like one person was in charge of writing the gargoyles and one person was in charge of writing Frollo and one yeah. person you know, it's like, and so they, and they were like, yeah, we'll all fit together. We'll be fine. Yeah. It feels like we were on a road trip and they were all different writers, but everybody had their own version of maps that they like to use. Yeah. 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 I was going to say like, this is, so I went down the little rabbit hole of looking at trivia and facts and stuff during topsy turvy. Right. Did you look at the additional voices list for this cast? It's wild. It's, it's like it's like a who's who of Broadway. Like you've got mm -hmm. Victoria Clark, you've got Howard McGill, and like they they called in a whole bunch of and you could hear in the choir sounds in those things that these are voices that are legit. Like they mm. Alan Macon and Steven Schwartz were like, we're gonna get the good vocalists in here for this, guys. Yeah, absolutely. 
that last note in Bells of Notre Dame, I mean, come on. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you haven't brought it up, Hannah. That's like your favorite thing. I cry every time I hear it. The Notre build of the, the yeah. bells, 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 bells the of yep. Notre I can't even fake it. Yeah. It's, it's tears. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that is a vocal performance that literally like, I feel like I'm singing it too. Like, uh-huh. like I don't know how else to describe it. Like, I'm tired at the end of it, but in a great way. Like, I just did something mm-hmm. victorious. Like, yeah. you know. The other, reason, the other reason I feel like this was in some ways, like, an artistic swing is they really did go for not your, like, A-list names in the way that some of the other movies mm-hmm. did. Like, and and and, and again, I'll, I don't know how much of this is credit to Alan Menken, but, like, all of the movies, like, like, like they really, they weren't as obsessed with getting named stars and everything, but they really did go and like, who are our best actor vocalist people? And they yeah. went to Broadway for so many of these. Right. Yeah. So, and then even Demi Moore was like, I can't sing this. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll cool. get someone else to sing it for yeah. you. Like, I mean, well, like, you know, well, but even like, even yeah. Tony J couldn't hit the last note in Hellfire. And he was like, can we please change it? And Alan Menken went, nope. So he met with like a vocal coach until he could do it. Yeah. Well, and did you hear I don't, that originally, I think it was this one where John Lithgow actually recorded some stuff from this for I, this for Frollo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, that makes internet. sense for me too. Yeah. Who John Lithgow, maybe my favorite like actor. I, yeah, nope. <laughs> he would have been good. Like yeah, I, I, like the, I like who they got. I think he's great. Yeah. Um, but even like, you know, Clopin, like that stuff is not easy to sing. And the oh. fact that they didn't try to just get, you know, whoever was popular <laughs> at the time, like Tom Cruise or Christian Slater or somebody to like Tom play Cruise. that part. And then the names they did get, like Kevin Klein is a good vocalist, like he's proven. And yet again, he doesn't sing the movie. But like, you know, I, I and then again, I'm glad that they stuck with Tom Hulse and didn't toss him for. Christian Slater, I guess, assume yeah. we're taking, yeah. you know, who was popular well, in 1993, you know, 94. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk God Help the Outcast, Hannah, or did you want to go somewhere else first? No, we should do God Help the Outcast because okay. it comes next in the movie. Yeah. Well, well, I want to say, because watching, I think, listen, I'm about to drop a hot take here, and I don't know who this is going to get me, probably in trouble with Brad, but the song is good. It's, it's a great song. But in the context of the movie, it just doesn't quite get me there. Whereas I was like, I think if I saw this on stage and you kind of packed it out a little bit more and I could take it all in all the spectacle, it would hit different. In the movie, it just falls short. And I don't know if that's because the song doesn't really build like to that place or if it's not enough of just a ballad. And I like the song. I love what it's saying. It just doesn't quite get there for me. So my fix for it, honestly, and and this is partly based on when I this this is a deep dive. When I was in high school, um, we did a Disney review, and this, God bless the outcast was one of the songs in it because it was like a whole staged, like it was basically a full theatrical production. But the I asked for love solo that that old lady does, yeah, yeah. yeah. And our stage in Quasimodo sang that, right? And there was a, and so the thing for me that fixes all those I asked for wealth, I asked for pain. If they were like the Clope part. and they were the farmer and they were all those people that we have met along the way i think that that then gives you that extra boost of what you need and i don't think you need those other parishioners in the in the church i don't i think that takes away from it too i think if it's just esmeralda walking around and looking and even those other voices are other people we've met in different places or it's the priest or it's all these different people i think that fixes that number i don't and to me that to me that number 
is a good song, but even the scene where it's like the stained glass windows and then you just see the hands come up. I'm like, this feels like we ran out of money and time. Uh-huh. And, and and instead of letting it be Esmeralda's moment, uh-huh. they tried to make it this communal thing about the gypsies. And I don't think that that's what we needed at that moment. I think because it's the first time we've seen Esmeralda not performing, right? Because everywhere yeah. else she's always on performance because she has to be, right? And to give her that moment of solitude so we're, we as the audience can actually see and hear and feel what Esmeralda sees and hears and feels and is a good good you know avenue into her that we just don't have as strongly as it could be like it, it works ish but it could have been stronger right because it's inspired by the charles Lawton movie uh from the 30s where there's a scene where they're all in the church and there's people who are praying and they're like you know lord give me wealth give me this and in that small quiet moment it's really beautiful and yeah i think like it just got lost in translation on its way to, yeah. to here i do think the, the best song, part is when slaps. everyone else is saying i asked for this i asked for that i think that's the strongest build i think though the lyrics really are the star of it mm-hmm. for me though like i think it's a, it's it's beautifully written yeah i think maybe what i don't maybe it's that i just don't prefer heidi's voice which could be yeah who was the vocalist mm-hmm but I also it but it fits to me like the, like the, yeah. like yeah. it sounds yeah. it sounds like it's her and that's, and that's what, very why true. I think that works but the thing is like again you talk about another like if you get like a Judy Kuhn singing that or a Susan Egan you like All the song over. hits differently yeah. but I yeah. just I think that there's a I don't yeah I, I understand what you're saying but I think it but I think they wanted that huskier voiced to fit mm-hmm. yeah to, yeah, yeah to fit to me more and I think that that uh, I, yeah, I think it works in that in that way. But again, but also here's another kind of point with that going. When they pick like vocalists in this movie are not vocalists really, like yeah. except for is <laughs> it's Paul Candle, right? Is that his name? Yeah, who plays yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's a voice, right? Yeah. Um, and there are very few people but, around who even at that time who were hitting those notes like that. But like Tom Hulse is not known as a vocalist, but it works. And yeah. you know. He's Tony J, right? Yeah. Tony J. Yeah. Not yeah. A, not necessarily a no. vocalist, but like he, he it works. Yeah. So I think that the, I think that yeah, this is not the movie for perfect vocals, right. which is weird because it's like the most like music of all of the movies, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I, but that's oh, but here, okay. Let me let me play my director's hat and spin. Uh-huh. But it's also kind of interesting that like the world of the show is this meticulous vocals and things and all of these outcasts and these people who are singing are imperfect vocalists in a perfect music world. Mm-hmm. And I think that that if you if you if you want to ride that ride, I think that there's something to be said about how they don't fit in the world that, that's yeah. been created. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but hey, hey. They'll take it, I'm yeah. sure. Can we also talk the neck the fall or did you want to say something else about God help the No, I was gonna move on. Yeah, it's I a beautiful to, song. It, it was their play for best song, I'm sure. That's the one they were pushing. Didn't Bette Midler do a version yeah. of it? She for did. The, yeah. <laughs> she did. The thing is, like, I think and I think this is a miscalculation. I think the song that really they should have pushed for, if they were doing an Academy Awards push should have been out there. I think that yeah. song is mm-hmm. gorgeous. Yep, it's well absolutely. done. Should have been Hellfire. <laughs> or, or it could have been yeah. Or it could have been Bells of Notre Dame. That yeah. It's, opens, it's like ten minutes long. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know what? Well, so was Bell, right? That's that got true. nominated. That, yeah. yeah. I, I, can I, I, oh, yeah, sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was just going to say my favorite, not my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the movie is following where Esmeralda runs up and gets to see some of Quasimodo's line world. I think the line is so brilliant, though, 
where he just says to her, you're not like other gypsies, they're evil. And it just like immediate, I feel, I've heard people bump on that about like, he's a nice kid. Why is he talking like that? And I was like, as a teacher, yeah, as a teacher, I've heard so many kids like walk into a classroom, like sweet kids and spout off something horrible. And I'm like, excuse me. And it's like, that's how my parents talk. Or that's what I hear like from my aunts and uncles. Yeah. And so, and so that moment where he says that, I was just like, I, I have heard that. I connected that, and it's really yeah. cool that Disney went there with it. It's clearly and, Frollo's, yeah, impact. Yeah. Again, it's another moment that hits. Yeah. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After living in America for the last six years, like it's a, it's you know, when working with kids, they say these honest these yeah. things that they feel and they've been taught. Yeah. Because that's just you know yeah. I again, but here okay, so a comic moment that worked for me yeah. that wasn't forced was the goat eating. <laughs> the little sheep and yeah. like you turn around he's eating the whole like all the sheep and the shepherd and again it talks about that idea of these sometimes these like these sidekicks doing like charlie chaplin silent movie comedy <laughs> works so much better than anything that's like trying to force yourself into doing your best robin williams yeah you know yeah 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 i would agree i so I want to bring up something I think is an underrated part of the film, which is the song Heaven's Light. I think is, uh, and I, I think it's, it's, good. it's good. It's good. I think it's beautifully written. And I think, you know, because I, I actually liked, I, 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 when I was a little younger, like a few years ago, I liked the, the off Broadway recording version of it. And I still think Michael Arden does like a very good job vocally, like singing it, but he he really belts the ending. And I think now after this rewatch, I again, love the tenderness in Tom Hulse's performance. And I think how he softly ends it. But I think the lyrics as well, the story, it, it's literally a three stanza, like mm-hmm. minute and a half at most song and goes through such a journey lyrically that I, well, it, I mean, it's I'm, stunning. It's yeah. yeah. It's but the problem, like what it's just, it's not, it's not an earworm that that you're gonna remember after <laughs> and, the thing. So like, and it's, it's also where it's like, it's like when you like, there's a certain musicals that you love, and you're like, oh, I love this song that no one remembers, right? But it's just like this beautifully, like it's so story driven or character driven. Yeah. But it's not any of the ones that you walk away from humming, right? Right. I don't, I don't think it was meant to be one of those, right? It feels very very again that's just another one moment where i go this feels like a stage show moment right yeah rather than a disney movie moment because the thing about a disney movie moment every song has to slap right they're ready to cut part of your world from little mermaid right which like right so like you know every song has to slap it has to hit with the audience and that one isn't about being melodic and being you know yeah. Whether whether grandiose or whatever, so I think that it's beautiful and it's great, but it does it it feels like it belongs in a Broadway show rather Absolutely. than in an animated movie. And and there's also a bit of a disservice being that the song that comes directly after well, that is bananas. but it's a nice juxtaposition. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think that's why it's there. I think it's the setup for Hellfire, so that you can have absolutely. Heaven's well, Light. Heaven's Light. Hellfire. Hellfire. Yeah. yeah. Like. And every yeah. time I hear the title "Heaven's Light," I think of "Look at Your Life Through Heaven's Eyes" from <sighs> also um, a bop. So like yeah. I always, so again, I don't ever think of "Heaven's Light" yeah. immediately when I think mm. of this movie. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Oh, okay, and so it, yeah, is it good. time for Hellfire? <laughs> In letters this big, yeah. During that song, I wrote, "Who is this movie for?" <laughs> Can I tell you? So before we get into the thing, 
this almost earned them a PG rating, which maybe it should have. They had to go it did back get a and PG rating, didn't it? No, it's G. It was G when uh, it came out, which is banana. Inside Out is PG, and this isn't. Like when they had to go back and like draw more clothes on Esmeralda dancing in the fire, and like that was the only like thing that almost got them a PG, which is bananas to me. I can't believe this movie is rated G. Yeah. It's wild. Like, that's insane, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. All right, Hannah, do yeah, your thing. This, so, so, this was so cool. This was so cool when you told me this. This thing you made a culpa. Later in the, yeah, which is yeah. my fault. And then he's going, it's not my fault. Yeah. My fault. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also with the choir, like, not since the, uh, the Nazi stepping hyenas have we had such a uh, scary imagery uh -oh. in a... You know, like, yeah. yeah, this makes that look like a Saturday right. morning cartoon. <laughs> Honestly. So it's, I confess to God Almighty, to Blessed Mary, Ever Virgin, to the Blessed Archangel Michael, to the Holy Apostles, to all the saints, which is another song. Like, that's, that's a song. But the use, like, the use of Latin, I think throughout the whole film is brilliant, but it's obviously, especially here, because they're saying... Um, Beata Maria, Blessed Mary, um, and then I, I can't read Latin, so I'm not going to say, I, I don't know how to pronounce it all, but basically the undertone up to my fault is Blessed Mary and to you, Father, I have sinned in thought, in word and deed, my fault, my fault, my greatest fault. It's a confessional, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially thinking of like what, like, like the Catholic Church at the time, right? Like, and this idea of confession i mean it's just like it, it it all comes together all the devil's in the details can i say that yeah <laughs> for this like uh, yeah um i i yeah we because it's obvious this is definitely not a song for children um i mean you can learn a lot from it but it, you learn a lot from it as an adult and i think all these details that just come right together make it do you think we talked about the juxtaposition of the of, of Frodo's duplicitousness? Do you think there's something to the fact that Frodo or Frodo? Do you think there's something? Let me let me start again. Do you think there's something to the fact that Frollo is kind of queer coded, but lusting after Esmeralda is kind of like another duplicitous thing? Yeah, because I think because I think that like I mean like, this is a whole I mean this is a conversation for another time about Disney and queer coded villains, right? But like this one in particular, like he's very. There's a lot of manners that would that would read as a more that would read more queer coded, right? Yeah. But yet there's this whole line of him lusting after Esmeralda that never felt, even as a kid, it was like I was like, why, I just don't understand why he's so obsessed with her, right? Because it never felt real, at least for me, it didn't. And so, like, I don't know, I just felt like there was another level of the duplicitousness of of Frollo that, like, what's going on here, like. Yeah. I, I almost wonder if it's, you know, it's lust, but it's not lust in the way of like what we would think of lust, but lust in the sense of like we, we said earlier, like he he likes that she challenges him. Yeah. And no that because that part of me. Yeah, yeah. Because he's so evil that like he's lusting to like dominate to like. Yeah. Like let out evilness through the act of but, like, you know, like, but I don't even think that that's dominate in like a in like a inappropriate right. kind of way. Right. I mean, it's right. Just being. 
like no one know I am the alpha. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Challenge me at your peril. But the fact mm-hmm. that you would challenge me because no one ever does. Oh, that's intriguing. Bring her here so I can be the cat who plays with the mouse. Yeah, absolutely. Before I eat her. That's what I think is more because it never. And that's the thing is like it never felt like lust to me. It felt more like this cat trying to catch the mouse and play with and just dangle it and you can't see because it's a podcast but like dangle it and play with it <laughs> mm-hmm. before he finally yeah. you know well and i and i will say her. i will say there's there's um i don't know how large but there's people who are upset that esmeralda doesn't end up with quasi at the end but it's kind of a thing like but here's the difference is frollo is like possessive to the point of like you know he says like if i can't have her like i want her to burn you know she will be mine or she will burn and the thing is, Quasi is not that. Quasi is just like, I would really like it if we were together. But if not, that's cool, too. And I think that, you know, the Phoebus Esmeralda relationship is rushed. So I understand where some of the frustration comes from. But it's like, it's a literal, you know, opposition to what Frollo stands for in this. But I also think that if 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 it was given, we I mean we're kind of jump, jumping ahead here. But like if you yeah. if you gave Quasi and Esmeralda the romantic thing, I think that Quasimodo is like if we're talking about the hierarchy of needs, Quasimodo just needs someone to care about him. He needs friends. He needs yeah. family. Like if you gave him just like a, oh we're in a romantic, I don't think that that character would know what to do with that. You know what I mean? I think that like giving him a family, yeah, is kind of what he needs. And and again, when this is kind of like a weird, if it was just the two. <laughs> Gargoyles. He went from having like them as his parents that in some way like he has Phoebus and Esmeralda that can yeah. kind of like fill that familial void that Frollo never, you know, gave him. Yeah, I guess, yeah. you know, like so even though I did write down like why can't Quasi get the girl? Like because, you know, of course, you get into the whole like, oh, well, he's, you know, you got to put the pretty people with the pretty people, that whole argument. Like and there's people that would feel that way. But I don't think that that's it. I think it's just yeah. a matter of I don't know that Quasimodo would know how to handle that at that moment. Yeah. 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 He just feels like a kid. Like and he's 20, sure, but like his his emotional intelligence and his interpersonal intelligence just from being kept in the tower for so long. I don't know that it would be yeah. at a place that could handle yeah, he's, he's spent so much time alone that he imagines that his three gargoyles talk to him. Like, come well, on. Well, like physically I mean, don't we all? Yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't that don't we all? We've like, all been there. Physically he's 20, but yeah, men- mentally, emotionally, socially, he's he's a kid. I mean, because yeah, that's all he's known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh wow. That's sad. I mean, listen, this movie <laughs> deep dives. Yeah. Deep dives. Yeah. 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 Um, but I do think that Hellfire is uh we can all agree is not in a movie for six year olds. Nope. Right. No. I think nope. that this, you know, shows that this movie is Because there's so a dramatic overcorrection with the next song in this movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well Um is wait, is this a moment to talk about because we're talking about this scene? I, they so in the in the book, right, it, Frollo is a member of the church, right? Yes. He's an yeah. archdeacon. Right. So in this movie, they made him a judge. So it's more of a political thing than a religious thing. I mean, I, I mean, definitely this movie came out and he was and he was the villain. He was part of the Catholic Church, like the Catholic Church would have boycotted, protested. As they movie did. In, yeah. in, the in a Southern Baptist way. Church. Yeah, yeah, this. that's right. Yeah. So I think I mean, but by making him the law and the law is corrupt, I think is is a. Is easier for people to swallow. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the church is corrupt. Right. Because this is still pre like the you know boston spotlight of it all right like this is still before all of that mm-hmm. so i think that like yeah i mean 
What are your thoughts on them changing that to from the archdeacon to the judge? I like it. I think it works fine in the Disney movie. I do like it more in the book and in other versions where he is the archdeacon. And because I think like the hypocrisy there is just, you know, rampant. And the way that he steps on Quasimodo is a little more um, heartbreaking to me. Um, which, I, and I mean, you know, granted, it's like, you know, who hurt him more? Archdeacon for, it's like, they're both bad. I think it's a little bit more where the power, the power with him as, as judge is more like, I've acquired this. Whereas Archdeacon is kind of like, I'm a voice for God. You have to do what I say. So I think yeah. that that's a more interesting take. I also think that it makes him, it allows him to be more distant and evil. Cause if he was Archdeacon, and I think this is how it is in the book, he is more paternal to Quasimodo in yeah. the book mm-hmm. because he really does see this as his duty from God, right? Yeah. The, you know, right. as a as a member of the of the clergy to take care of this this child. Now he probably is, he's still not great to him, but like right. he is still better to him than he because in the movie he's just kind of like awful, right? Like, yeah. he, like it's never brought up in the book what their relationship is really. Yeah, it's just kind of like he's there, they're there, boom. Well, yeah. yeah this one's like they made a point to make it very like manipulative and abusive, yeah. you yeah. know. I think, you know, well, when you think of the the Catholic Church at that time of, you know, there was the whole <laughs> I, you know, cuz I think not only is it a choice to not make Frollo an archdeacon, it's also a choice to make the archdeacon in the movie like really nice because like, you know, you think of like back then <laughs> people would like pay to have their sins cleansed. Like, you know, it was much more of like a monopolized like opportunity. Um, and you know, the whole history of that. So I think there's, there's a twofold choice in there, but yeah, I, I, I might, I don't know. I, I, because to me, it's so obvious now kind of bringing up what you've brought up this whole time, Brad, about like comparing it to today and the society we live in today of this, like this idea of like, I'm not confessing this because it's technically not my fault and she's tempting me and this deflecting of responsibility for the things that we do wrong and people in this world. That like and he's to a do- demagogue who just says that people are going to just do what he wants to. Like, yeah. I mean, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, people today that like are in power or just people that, you know, commit hate crimes and like to, you know, claim like religious exemption from like what they've done because it's all for the glory of God. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, rampant you know so i think like yeah you, you know it's one of these things where i'm like if this was released today and he was a judge and not an archdeacon would still people feel like it was an attack on religion mm-hmm. when maybe it's i mean because like in the book mm-hmm. i would say i mean i've not read the book from what i've heard of the book and the story it sounds like victor hugo is really like just calling out uh not no not as much the book <laughs> So it's funny, the book was actually written a little bit more like Notre Dame is a really beautiful place and we need to uphold it because like people did not have the reason why people respect Notre Dame like they do is because of the book, which was just entitled Notre Dame of Paris, where I I've tried to read the version for adults because as a kid, I read like the illustrated or the adapted for kids as adults. There there's so many chapters about just like the architecture of Notre Dame and how beautiful Notre Dame is and how awesome it is. And then it's like and then we get like a really cool story. So it seems like it was more about like, hey, everyone, we need to treat this place a little better. (laughs) 
which they captured that. Yeah. The animation's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Like the Notre Dame is beautiful in yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, but even Hellfire, the song feels like it fits better if he's a religious yeah. member of the of yeah. the clergy rather than if he's a judge. Like I feel like that whole theme of that and really being consumed by the religion of it all, it feels, you know. Yeah. A guy it's like- very, unless it, unless it's like the model is what Judge Turpin from Sweeney Todd, because that's what I always think of when I think of that is the number they cut. Mm-hmm. for him right which they've put back in since you know they, since the original production that's another sick and twisted number from a judge right so i i mean that's i think the best i guess that's the best model at least in in literature that we can you know take in for that yeah. for the frollo moment you know a guy like frollo would be better being the archdeacon a guy like him but a guy like but a guy like you that one Paris is on fire. We've seen a family almost get murdered, and then the gargoyles literally the gargoyles literally make a joke out of it where they go like, "Look, the city of Paris is is all lit up because it's on fire. Genocide, everybody." It's so like, "No, no, no. I don't want to hear th- I don't want to hear this right now." Like, "No, no, no." I don't I don't I can't think of a Disney a song in a Disney movie that's worse. That falls harder on its face. Than this movie, yeah, or than this song, I because like other than the the, I, the lyric that I love is "and you're shaped like a croissant is," I laugh every time. I'm not gonna lie, mm-hmm. it's a great moment. But that like just I don't I don't know what they were going for with this song. I wonder how long it took them to write this. I wonder if they were like, "Hey guys, uh, we need some, we need another song. We need well, something it, a little lighter." It, well, that's what it, it, it kind of feels like. It, literally, it's like okay, because so, once once you hit a certain part in this story. There's nothing happy, guys. Like it yeah. is, it is, oh, right? You know, unless they wanted to give like a, a production number to the gypsies in in the court of miracles and make some big fun thing there. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a place for a, like an upbeat razzle dazzle number. So I I understand them wanting that because otherwise it is a it is a dirge right through the end of this mm-hmm. thing as far as like. It's all heavy. Like it's not necessarily bad if you're gonna write. It's because there's some cool, intense stuff. But like it's just it, there's just what do you? Unless you gave like what Phoebus and and Esmeralda a love song. Like I I, yeah. I don't know what you do. So I get them needing something here, but I've tried to think oh. about what the Kevin Klein number would even be, and it's like it's a shame they don't have him to sing. But what would it be? Yeah. It would have to be about him deciding to to leave Frollo and and whether it's a scene between him and Esmeralda where he's like. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, you know, it's after like, you know, she saves him from the getting shot in the shoulder and we, ha- you know, I don't know, like there could be some, that would be it. But I understand the, a guy like you, but it's even them pushing this idea that like Quasimodo is like, oh, do you need, do you need a boyfriend, you need a girlfriend, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and it's like, that doesn't, that kind of feels out, out of place for this whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause then it's all for nothing. <laughs> then it's all for nothing at the end when she shows up. And I mean, I guess if one could make the argument about, there's so much setup, which like it makes you feel good, and then immediately pulls the rug from under you. But we already knew that that was going to happen as the audience, so it's it's like I don't I don't know. Maybe it would play differently if we. But then it's coming right after Hellfire, so there's yeah, there's not a scenario where the song works. I I, I don't I just I just that song for me. I just I just like this doesn't it doesn't quite work like. Just as a number, like it's a kind of a cute little song. It's fine. I yeah. just in another Disney movie, it might get like a chuckle, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the thing is, it's almost like they were wanting, like with 
with the like the all the different cuts and things it's like they were going for friend like me or they were going for be our guest and yeah. it just never got there right like it, it just i don't i don't understand also did you see that also like i'm talking about other things that aren't really like it's like a moment of like did they really just do that Although, listen, we also got Hugo dressed as Meralda Drag, which, like, <laughs> great moment for three seconds. And then it went away. I was like, yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. Well, can I say my uh, here's another one, too, where I, I have an issue with the cho- with the directing choice. The scene where so the, they hide Phoebus and the scene where Frollo shows up. I hate how telegraphed it is that Frollo is like tricking him. Like, you know, like that scene where he like kind of looks over his shoulder, like, and now you're like, I wish that it was like a legit, he shows up, is like mad, goes on his rampage and walks out because I would buy that. That's not hard to kids. believe. Yeah. It doesn't like, but the, like the things you want, you want people to get every hint. Yeah, now like, it's like, I'm going to lay these big old breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah. To make sure that everybody gets it. Right. Yeah. And again, I, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is not subtle. This movie, like. Like there are certain characters that have some really nice subtle work, but then there are things like Frollo is not subtle. No, the gargoyles no. are not subtle. No, no. well, and but unfortunately, I think the Quasimodo Esmeralda Phoebus stuff I think is actually some of the stuff in the movie that for me works the best because I go like, okay, right. Well, I, I mean, buy it. you're talking about subtlety. Unfortunately, the Court of Miracles sequence is not subtle either because the whole it makes me sad because the whole movie they're like they're evil, they're evil, they're evil, and the first thing they do when they show up is they're like. We're a bunch of liars and thieves, and now we're going to murder you until, like, as, and they're going to murder them without, like, hearing what they have to say. It was, like, it was, it was messy. I, mean, I like the song. I get it. Like, but, there's, yeah. there's a whole moment of, like, you know, we are, you know, we are not taken seriously up there on right. their turf. So you come into my house, my rules. Exactly. Yeah. You come into my house. <laughs> I, yeah. And, 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 but the thing is about that one, too, is that, there were other people there that saw Phoebus yeah. save the like so like it's one of those things where it's like they didn't even talk like the, like there's a element of and you know Quasimodo's not bad I yeah. you know what I mean like I yeah. I don't know I think that I understand what they were going for and I get it but again I think this is one of those things where it's like the movie just kind of it's like it's one of those toys that you wind up and mm-hmm. it starts off real strong and then like as it's going down the track it just it like peters out right yeah where are we going yeah <laughs> Yeah. Who is this for? Yeah. Well, well, then Frollo is there, and uh, yeah, he's been betrayed. Dun, yeah. Dun, da, 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 da. Boom. Choose me or the fire. I, I want to talk about the scene in this movie that makes me cry every single time is Quasi breaking his chains, swinging down, because that shot is incredible. Yeah. Every so single time, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like getting emotional. Like, and then the movie uh, becomes the third act of Beauty and the Beast. But also, Quasimodo watched the Tarzan could run, right? Like, yep. there's some of that yeah. stuff that they really like. Uh-huh. Some of the movements and and stuff that you could tell that they learned from playing around Quasimodo that went into creating Tarzan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I wrote the sanctuary I have there too. Um, the I, the other thing I wrote right after this, because I think this is when we start to get into the fight. And I wrote this 
talking like thinking about throughout the movie but like do you ever feel like the comedy drama balance of this movie is just like we're just flinging pasta at this at the wall and seeing what sticks because like mm-hmm. you have these great like like the moment like some of it some of it lands and some of it doesn't it's like it it, it lands about as well as the catapult that they use right where it's like what's it's like, like is this, are you sure, are you sure this is how it works okay boom boom gotcha yeah. like it's sometimes it works but it shouldn't have or like it didn't work how it's supposed to or it just doesn't work mm-hmm. but they just it like I just never think they found the tone of this movie. Yeah. Well, and and there's so many moments where, like we were saying, it's right in the groove, like Phoebus jumping on top of the, the cage and saying that again, because it's such a well-written line when he says, will we allow this? Mm. Which is like, a, you know, a call to like all people like, hey, when people are oppressing us and when they're trying to keep us down, when they're here to destroy our art and and our culture, are we going to allow this or not? Like, it's so powerful. And then we get the guards falling down with the goofy laugh. Like, the legit goofy laugh with the Wilhelm scream. And then you, like, I I didn't mind Laverne sending the birds. Why, my pretties, yeah. The, oh, that was yeah, funny. That was that fine. Was funny. But, yeah, but like Hugo as like a as a lava machine gun, yeah, didn't work for me. Yeah, and so I th- I I really just I think it I I really think my takeaway for this movie is I think that they needed two gargoyles. Yep, uh-huh. <laughs> they needed to cut that one because it was it was just the anachronistic thing worked for Robin Williams in Aladdin, right? And I just don't think it I don't think it hits the same way in this movie, right? And and I will say like seeing Quasimodo just go off i was like this man is in the he is like living a stray from the path song right now like come on okay come on are we to believe that all of the liquid molten whatever is from that one pot because there <laughs> there's no like, way there's no way like like they melted down all the bells right like because mm-hmm. that like that was so much fire pouring out of that building mm-hmm that just went away at the end too. Yeah, like I was like, and it's fine. Yeah. It's clear. It, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'm never this guy. Also, I'm I'm never this guy about like it's realistic or not. But it they kind of this they kind of shot themselves in the foot with something here, um, where the scene where Quasi thinks Esmeralda is dead and he's weeping and Frollo comes in to stab him and then Quasi like just easily overthrows frollo and does that great line about like you know now i see the only thing that's dark about the world is people like you which is such a good moment but then when like he does the she lives i'm like wait quasi this man who you just like effortlessly flung to the ground now we're scared of him like i don't know it yeah, but there's still a power dynamic at play that's there. True. Do you know, like that's it's true. still, yeah. A, yeah. Like it still is like it's the feelings of like this is my dad, right? I, like I wanted Quasi well, to stab him. And then you think of like what's his response, like fight or flight, like or that's freeze. True. Like, that's true. He might have fought in the moment, and then it's like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, he's back. Repercussions like, of my act, you eternal damnation, right? Yeah. All of those things that he said that's in his true. head. I'm the yeah. only one who's good for you. But you make a good point, I think. Mm. I, you do, yeah. I I did write in my notes though my sigh of relief when Frollo died. Every time he has his day and he shall plunge the wicked and flung them into the fiery pit and then he falls to his death. And I I just every time I'm like, good, he's gone. Evil. Yeah. And apparently there was a discussion about Esmeralda actually being the one to kill him. And then it was the whole like Disney princesses don't do that Uh, kind of a thing. She should have. And. Honestly, but like, but yeah, you know, in, in the real telling of this, sure. But like, I think there is something to be said about like the villain 
punishes himself, right? Yeah, like he is yeah. his own, especially in this kind of a thing, you know, like bad guys can't do, you know, like they have to be punished for what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not in a way that makes the good guys look bad. Well, and right? it is a thing too, like back to the vanity when he is going to kill them, it is very much Frollo is going for his moment. Cause it's like, he could, he didn't have to, you know, go to the lengths that he did. Like he could have easily done whatever, but no, he has to make this about his, like, I am, I am, Superior. you know, smiting yeah. the wicked and I am flinging them into the fiery pit. And, uh, quickest cleanup ever, by the way, for the yeah. city of Paris. <laughs> the molten lava disappeared. Like, yeah. Um, also, did you? I had the thought when, when Esmeralda uh, runs through, I thought she was about to go hug Phoebus and she does hug Quasimodo. I thought she was about to run right past Quasimodo and I was about to be like, ah, no, no. But, uh, but she did hug Quasimodo. So I was very happy about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I did. Okay. I am a sucker. If we're like near the end of the movie now, yeah. I do love the moment where the little girl from the farm goes up to Quasimodo yeah. at the very end. And it's just so sweet and so precious. Yeah. And it's like, well, the little girl's fine with it. We're all fine with it, right? Yeah. That, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's that. And then it's the three cheers for Quasimodo that like just sends me over the edge. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, For me, it's also the ending when um he sings Bells of Notre Dame. But the Dom is uh, slightly different than the one at the beginning, but still really good. And it makes me cry a second time. Okay. The music is epic. Like that, it's that so Bells of Notre Dame song is just epic. It's so good. It, it's such, this movie is such a hodgepodge. Like it's the moments where it's good. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there are just moments that are just bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I would agree with that. And there's too. very, there's not really a lot of mid either, you know, like, no. And that, and maybe that's, part of the problem is that there's not enough to just like this is fine it's either like well this is some of the best stuff disney's ever were done versus this is maybe some of the worst well folks it's about that time where we're going to use our manners all right well just like when the youth pastor offered you some burger king coupons to go get your Burger King kids meal in the 90s with the Hunchback of Notre Dame toys for $1.99. Um, I want you to hit me with a yes, please, or no thank you when it comes to this movie. I'm going to call on Zach first because he's laughing. Yeah, I'm, so... I got some coupons. And you know what? I am going to take the coupons because if you're going to pay for my lunch and my dinner and you want to you wanna pay for my meal, that's awesome. And that's how I feel about this. It's like, Disney, if you want to give me something with a lot of emotion and a lot of intensity in 90 minutes, and I don't have to sit through, like, some three-hour-old movie, like, that's fine. I'll take, like, the Cliff Notes version of something more epic. But back to the Burger King analogy of it all. Um, The only good thing that Burger King makes are their sandwiches, their fries, and their nuggets. No thank you. But I'll I'll deal with those. I, you know, if those are there, I'll eat them because I like all the other stuff so much. And for me, it's it's going to be worth the trip overall for the overall experience that I have of feeling full and satisfied. So while I don't like everything there, I'm going to go and have it all. And if I'm going to have it for a discounted price or for free, which is the runtime and length of this movie, uh, then absolutely. All right. All right, Brad, lucky for you, there's more coupons. We got plenty. 
Awesome. So I'm going to take those coupons and I'm going to go and order my kids meal. But much like McDonald's just did where they had those kids meals that were like for adults. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I get it back. And it's like an adult kids meal, but it has like really good fries and like a fish sandwich that's terrible, (laughs) but like a milkshake that I like and a toy that I already have. So it's like a duplicate. So it's like I'm but like but like I enjoy myself and like and it's a good experience and the fries are really, really good. So yeah, I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna enjoy the parts that are great. And there are parts that feel familiar and like the toy that's a repeat in there and there are things in there that are the fish sandwich. And we're just gonna pretend that that didn't happen. All right, well, goodness. How did we get this many coupons? <laughs> I'm telling you, the, sometimes those donations come those in. Those donations like, come in clutch. We have too many. Well, I am also going to take the coupons because I think for what I am, I don't really know what it is I want, but I know that I want something and this this meets what I want. Like for, for what I care about in this film, I I care about. I care about the music and... If I were to say no, I would feel like it'd be a disservice to the music or to some of the performances or some of the animations. So I, I, yeah, I agree. There's definitely things I don't like, but I think what I do like definitely outweighs what I don't like. And yeah, I, I think this is a forgotten, maybe not forgotten Disney movie, but you know, it doesn't get the same accolade as like the other Renaissance movies, which for good reason, like, you know, there's some big differences but i would say it's it's better than you might remember if you haven't seen it in a while who is the monster and who is the man sing the bells 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 Well, everybody, you know, if you have a Disney Plus account or if you're like me and you've got the Blu-ray, uh, why don't you give why don't you give Hunchback another go and see how you feel? You know, you might like it, you might not, but I think we can all agree that the sequel is terrible. That's that's a conversation for another day, maybe. Um, you know who's not terrible and who doesn't get an F is uh Mr. Brad Kane. Brad, thank you so much for uh for being with us tonight. Yay. I'm glad to be here. I hope that our you know, circular conversation is is uh, decipherable for those. You use the map to find us, you know, the, when you hold the city in your hand, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> yes. And I will say, uh, Kate McGonigal was supposed to join us tonight, who you remember from the Crucible and the Green Knight episodes. She was not able to join us, but I do want to highlight some of her work because she is a really talented and gifted writer. So we're going to put a, a link to some of her stuff in the show notes. But Brad, uh, do you have anything you would like to plug? Yeah, I'll, I'll plug it again. Uh, I have an Instagram called at a, it's a, a play a day in May where I read different plays and write about them and uh, do a pull quote and try to encourage people to read more plays. Absolutely. Yay. And the link will be in the show notes. Hannah, do you want to plug anything? Yes. Um, as always, at Godfellas the Pod, especially now since we're trying to incorporate more questions in our opener. So uh, those will usually be on our story. So I would check that out if you want to express your... Uh, 
your thoughts. Um, and at the Honey Initiative, that is uh, Zach and I's worship leading group. Um, that is where you can find us on all social media. We're on TikTok, Insta, YouTube, Facebook. We are still taking bookings for 2023. We are starting to fill up a little bit. So if you have an event that you want us for, reach out now. Um, we would love to chat with you and, and share more information. Or you could email us at, uh, not, not at, you could email us thehoneyinitiative at gmail.com. It's always the Honey Initiative. There you go. Always, always. Uh, and I want to plug Mitch Dupree's LinkedIn. He is at 498 connections. He just needs two more to get to 500. Please help him. Let's, <laughs> let's make it happen, people. Also, if you want to email us, godfellasthepot, godfellasthepot at gmail.com. If you have suggestions for other episodes that you would like to hear. And next week, everybody, you might want to do a little bit of homework because we are going to be doing a, a themed episode. We are going to be talking about youth group. Uh, next week, we will be joined by Sam Moss from the Youth Group Chronicles podcast. And we will be talking about all things youth group. But until then, I've been Mr. Zach. I've been Miss Hannah. I've been Mr. Brad. Mr. Brad.